there's something scary hiding in the back of your closet. Your bathing suits and summer clothes thing you're pretty sure don't fit anymore. What if there was a way to get into summer shape in one visit? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonabello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonabello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonabella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. To make a rich, smooth cold brew, Tim Horton steeps 100% Arabica beans for 16 hours. What could be richer than that? Well, uh... How about blending in swirls of sweet Irish cream? Rich enough? Ooh, I guess. Not quite, because Tim Horton's tops that cold brew with the cloud of sweet cold foam. Now, what could be richer than that? Nothing? Exactly. Irish cream cold brew with cold foam now at Tim Hortons. Or try cold foam on any of your Tim Hortons favorites. Modifications extra for a limited time at participating U.S. locations. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the half-happiest season of those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call it's the happiest season of all and welcome back everyone this is the exxon on the talk star radio network exxon broadcast network uk high definition radio euro high definition radio Star Cable and Exxon TV and our affiliates right across Canada, the United States, Central America, South America, the Pacific Rim. Let me see. Australia, Asia, Africa, Europe, right around the world. This is the Exxon and we're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. Exxon Nation, my guest this hour is 
Kenneth Payson, and we're going to be talking to Kenneth about his book, Forensics and the Violent Criminal Mind. Kenneth has studied criminology since 1973. He's written articles for Forensic Nurse magazine and uh, realized that with additional material, he could expand them into a book, which he began in 2005. Now, the book includes the basics of forensics, violent crimes, and what happens after an arrest. There are also chapters about victimology, so readers can decrease their risk of being a victim of violent crime. Once again, the name of the book is, you already have your pencils and paper ready, because this is a great book for a Christmas present, Forensics and the Violent Criminal Mind. It's available at border store, some border stores, borders.com, amazon.com, and barnesandnoble.com. Joining me now is Kenneth Payson. Hey, Kenneth, welcome to the Exxon. Hi, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Tell me, um, you're a forensic nurse. What does a forensic nurse do? Uh, well, forensic nursing is, is, a, is a brand new specialty in nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of them or us around right now, although there's more than there was a year or two ago. Uh, it basically has to do with uh, a mixture of nursing with the law. Um, that's what forensics indicates. Um, for example, there are nurses, for, there are forensic nurses who are not certified, mm-hmm. but who do uh, a, a type of one type of forensic nursing, working with court-ordered uh, psychiatric patients in certain facilities. Hmm. In other words, these psychiatric patients have been ordered by the court for commitment, uh, and usually the nurses who um, who are in charge of treating them or, or help with treating them are they're called forensic nurses but there's also other different types of forensic nurses as well uh, some states allow forensic nurses to go to crime scenes do crime scene investigations collect evidence because um, a certif- certification requires training in that mm-hmm. um, also there are nurses who work with lawyers uh, in civil as well as criminal cases as regarding um, the legal paperwork involved. Um, some nurses do investigations for these lawyers uh, pertaining to certain aspects of whatever cases they're working on. Um, and sometimes a forensic nurse, if they're involved in a criminal investigation uh, or at a crime scene, can testify in court as a um, witness, uh, expert witness. There's also other types of forensic nurses um, that may not be certified but they are in, in, as a forensic nurse, but yet they can be considered what's called SANE nurses. SANE stands for Sexual Assault Nurse Examiner. Uh, the, ma- the majority of them, of course, are female mm-hmm. uh, because these are nurses. They may not be called a forensic nurse, but if they're trained and certified as a SANE nurse, um, they could, uh, you know, if victims of sexual assaults uh, brought into the hospital, they are usually the ones that would collect the evidence from the victim. Gotcha. Uh, as well as doing collecting evidence from the, the body of the victim herself, mm-hmm. as well as the clothing and any other evidence that may be um, on the clothing. All right, Kenneth, please stand by. You and I have to take a two-minute commercial break. Exxon Nation, Kenneth Payson is our special guest. He's the author of Forensics and the Violent Criminal Mind. It's available at some border stores, borders.com, amazon.com, and barnesandnoble.com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. We'll be back in two minutes as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 
of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Kenneth Payson is our special guest this hour, Exonation. He is the author of Forensics and the Violent Criminal Mind. It's available at Borders.com, Amazon.com, Barnes and & Noble, and some border stores. Um, before we went to the commercial break, you were telling us what a, what a uh, forensic nurse actually does. And um, would, would the forensic nurse at a crime scene work alongside of the uh, CSI group, or would she be incorporated as a member of the CSI, he or she, I should say? Um, not m- Many states uh, generally don't use forensic nurses at actual crime mm-hmm. scenes. Uh, certain states, like the one I'm in, Connecticut, the smaller states mainly, uh, but there may be some other larger states, too, that re- that um, usually require only sworn police officers uh, to be at crime scenes uh, to collect evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, those type of people that they only allow. Uh, now, there are other states, um, for example, like Florida. Uh, I'm not sure about Texas. That do have um, uh, civilians, um, like forensic either they're forensic nurses mm-hmm. or they're trained civilian CSI people to go to crime scenes. They don't have to be sworn officers, but they have to be trained in that. And uh, whatever their requirements are to get the job, of course, depends on what state they're in. Uh, so you don't see too many forensic nurses at crime scenes uh, in many states. Uh, even though we're trained in that, uh, there's a lot of states that kind of like, because it's so new, mm-hmm. too, a lot of people are not aware of all the different roles that a forensic nurse can play, so um, it's hard for them to adjust and get somebody like a forensic nurse into a crime scene. Connecticut or Rhode Island will probably never use them, although there is one person who is a forensic nurse. Um, that I don't know who that person is, but I heard they're in the state. That they do go to crime scenes and they do collect their forensic nurse, but they also collect evidence at crime scenes. But as uh, as it turns out, that person is a sworn officer as well. How different is how different is the training to become a forensic nurse than it would be for a uh, a regular registered nurse? Whoops. Well, um, a regular nurse uh, basically starts out in nursing school. Mm-hmm. Could be anywhere from if they're a registered nurse, a minimum of two years. Um, so many nurses go for the direct bachelor's, which is four-year degree in nursing. And then they go on, you know, they're trained in different specialties during the school, their school period. When they get out and get their license, then they, they can determine which specialty they want to start out with, uh, working as a regular nurse. Uh, because forensic nursing is so new, they have to have, they should have, uh, to become certified in it, they have to go for at least a year's training with some school who, uh, which specializes, in, has a forensic nursing program. There's not a lot of schools that have that. Um, certain ones do, and that's where it requires some kind of research on the part of the nurse who is interested in getting into that. Now, do you think that we're going to see more and more 
uh, more and more of the expansion of nursing roles in the future. For example, now there's uh, nurse practitioners, and uh, there are some nurse practitioners that actually man, um, you know, walk-in clinics. They're allowed to uh, write a limited number of prescriptions. So, do you see the nursing profession widening its horizons? Um. Uh, there's always room for expansion, and I think uh, there's more, in, in my opinion, not I'm not sure how accurate this is, but mm-hmm. I get the impression that is there are more regular RNs uh, getting involved in advanced nurse practitioning um, because, it's, you know, there's more responsibility, not to mention more money, mm-hmm. but it's it kind of like connects more with uh, closer to a phys- uh, medical type work rather than nursing type work. There's a mixture of the two. Um, the advanced nurse practitioner can prescribe medications under the supervision of a physician, can give physicals, um, whereas um, the, the ERN uh, cannot actually do all that. Uh, they have to go for the special training and the advanced degree. So regular RNs stick with nursing advanced nurses can go, you know, they have regular nursing, plus can do a little bit of the medical as well, under the doctor's supervision. Tell me, why did you decide to become a forensic nurse? That's based on my passion for in, for criminology and uh, forensics. And because of my past uh, experiences in the working in the criminal justice system, that's always been there. And... Um, I, you know, even though I got into nursing, mm-hmm. the crime part, the criminology and forensics was act, were actually my real passions. And because I couldn't really get involved directly with those two fields in this state, uh, I decided, well, why don't I see if I can try for something where I can special, you know, study some forensics, mm-hmm. uh, crime scene investigations, and go to a program where I can mix my nursing with training for that. And... Basically, it really hasn't helped me get a job as doing that. However, it's expanded my knowledge to such an extent that I can teach um, and I can write books about what I've learned. And so it's been a great experience for me. And um, anybody who's interested in this type of thing, I would, of course, recommend that and get the training if they're interested in doing this kind of nursing. The name of your book is Forensic and uh, Forensics and the Violent Criminal Mind. What was your inspiration for writing your book? Well, basically how it started out was I started writing the articles for Forensic Nurse Magazine, mm-hmm. um, which at the time was putting out paper uh, magazines. And then I think they stopped the paper a couple of years ago, but they're still, they still do it online. Um, they publish online. And um, I decided, well... Let me see if I can get something published through them, because I wanted to write, and I wanted to write what I knew. So I, I started with them, picking one subject, and it was accepted and published. And then I chose three other subjects, and they were all accepted and published. And then after the magazine, the paper magazine, went out of existence, uh, I decided, well, I've got all this, these articles written, well, you know, and I've got them copies of the paper uh, articles here, but why don't I just do something with them and expand? So that's when I started thinking about the book part, and I decided to go ahead and expand on it, write the book, include those articles in there with some expansion, 
And um, I kept on going and going and going until I had enough for a book. And, uh, you know, it was hard work. It took a long time, but my what, previous writing didn't go to waste. What are some of the topics that you wrote about? For example, uh, did you discuss cases or was it uh, policies, procedures, um, investigative techniques? Um, what it includes is, uh, for example... Like in the first section of the book, um, it's part one. It talks about some of the most uh, uh, frequently used forensic sciences. Now, there's a lot of different specialties of forensic sciences, um, you know, and it does not. The book doesn't talk about every one of them because there's too many. Uh, many of them are not used very often. But uh, for example, fingerprints, fingerprint analysis, how fingerprint came into being and why we have fingerprints uh, is included in the book, uh, bloodstain patterns and interpretations, and other types of forensic evidence. That's all in part one. And uh, that kind of leads into the next section, which is the largest section in the book, Violence in the Criminal Mind. Um, it talks about how criminals may start out uh, committing crimes on a, what's called a crime continuum. It goes, then goes into various, uh, the subsequent chapters about pedophiles. There are different classifications of pedophiles. Uh, psychopathy, um, or also known as antisocial personality disorder, it starts leading in toward the cases. Um, stalking, cyber-stalking, victimology, kidnapping, um, some of the more serious violent crimes. It gets gradually more violent in uh, nature as far as the crime, talking about the different crimes. And uh, serial homicides, serial rapes, um, you know, it's kind of like, it's very informative, mm -hmm. detailed, because there's different categories of certain types of criminals, and a lot of people aren't aware of that. So that's what this main, main section is about, part two, and it does get into various through crime cases, um, and certain uh, serial criminals, serial killers, they'll talk about maybe one or two cases uh, involved with that, um, cults, um, bombers, terrorists. Uh, so not all the chapters have true crime cases, but many of them do. Mm -hmm. and, tell, uh, tell, me, tell me, why do we have fingerprints? Um, fingerprints basically, well... They're mainly used for, the idea was to, for grasping, mm -hmm. holding on to things. Uh, now, it's kind of hard to um, think of us having fingerprints and you know, holding on to a glass or a can or something where it's, it's very slippery. Uh, how do the fingerprints help? We really don't think they help. But that was the idea and the creation of man is for the fingerprints to help with that. Now, you, when you think about the primates, like gorillas, chimpanzees, they may have these also. I don't know 100% for sure if they do, but, you know, they have hands, too, like we do. And so I would imagine that they would have some kind of grasping markings on their fingers to hold on to things. And that's why the purpose of, well, that's why basically why we have it. Interesting. Very Interesting. Kenneth, you and I have to take a commercial break with the news at the bottom of the hour. Great sharing with you this evening here in the Exxon. Exxon Nation, Kenneth Payson is our special guest. He's the author of...
Forensics and the Violent Criminal Mind. It's available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Borders.com, and some border stores. This is the Exxon on the Talkstar Radio Network, and we're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Our toll-free worldwide number is 1-800-610-7035. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. Kenneth Payson and I will be back on the other side of the news as we continue here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell. Greetings, XO Nation. This is Jalen Danlick from OurCuriousWorld.com, and I would like to wish Rob, Laura, and all the worldwide listeners of the XO Nation a very Merry Christmas and a healthy, prosperous, and spiritually fulfilling New Year. Nation, uh, Kenneth Payson is our special guest. He is the author of Forensics and the Violent Criminal Mind. It's available online at uh, Borders.com, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and uh, some border stores uh, carry it. In your opinion, uh, Kenneth, what is the most interesting part of being a forensic nurse that, that, that you enjoy doing more than anything else? Um, I would say... Well, the forensic part. <laughs> um, as much as I enjoyed nursing, and mm-hmm. I was mainly a psychiatric nurse uh, for most of my years, um, the forensics has, has always been my passion. Um, you know, I've done finger, I was a fingerprint examiner in the past, and uh, I still have expertise in that. And um, I did a little bit of teaching in that not too long ago in my graduate study. So. That's always been with me, and that's my favorite. This would be my specialty. If there were jobs here around my area uh, asking for forensic nurses versus other specialties, Mm -hmm. that's the one I would pick because of the forensics part. Where is there the greatest demand for forensic nurses? Well, it's not around here. that's a good question. I don't know. I know that, um, you know, the school I went to uh, for my master's in forensic science was in California, and that California being the largest state, uh, I would imagine that if there are forensic nurses out there, which I imagine there would be, uh, they may have more use for them there than they would in a small state like Connecticut or Rhode Island. Um, I'm not so sure that the New England states 
have certified forensic nurses, although there are many of us around, scattered around throughout the country. As a matter of fact, there's, um, there's an international association of forensic nurses, which have conventions um, and other events going on, and they usually get in touch with forensic nurses that they know of throughout the country mm-hmm. to announce these events. So there are many more of us around than than we realize. I just haven't seen any <laughs> any more of my type of uh, nursing around this area. Uh, those nurses who are involved with forensic type nurses are usually sane nurses around, and mainly the emergency rooms in the hospital, larger hospitals in Connecticut, and that may be the same way in other states as well. And uh, there's not a whole lot of them that do go out to crime scenes, at least not in New England, but maybe perhaps in the larger states, states which have them, we might use some of them. Why does the size of the state have any significance as to whether or not there's forensic nurses or not? I don't, it's not necessarily the size of the state. And the only reason I mention that uh, is because it's a larger geographical area requiring I see. Uh, more, I mean, I get the impression, and I've never lived in a real large state, mm-hmm. but um, usually, and I find like in California, there's a lot of forensic people, um, more than in my state. And with those, that larger number of forensic people, there's likely to be more forensic nurses. Not that there is, but there's more likely to be. California, Texas are just are two of the largest states. Alaska being the actual largest state of the whole country, uh, I'm not so sure has them. So that could be a, the largest state and still not have very many of them. I would so imagine it all depends it, on on the population yeah. and and uh, the number of large cities, et cetera, et cetera. You mentioned cyber stalking before. Is cyber stalking a growing problem, and how can a forensic nurse help? Well, cyber stalking is, I believe, is, um, I haven't, you don't read about it too much in the papers now, but it's an ongoing problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was since, since the computers came out, and everybody's got computers now, um, including the predators, um, the predators can use it and remain anonymous, um, stalk people without being identified and some of them have even gone so far as to coax the victim into meeting them, which has caused serious problems for the victim. And, of uh, course, now with the, with the small handheld devices, the cell phones that you're able to actually text from or send emails from, I'm sure that cyber-stalking is, is presenting law enforcement officials with uh, some new challenges. Oh, absolutely. Um, the problem with the cyber-stalking is that um, a lot of time, because uh, the predator using uh, that tool to stalk a person or to coax a, a victim mm-hmm. into their net, um, some, uh, it makes it more difficult for law enforcement to identify them because they can get into um, uh, a certain website or uh, a blog or whatever, and um, you remain anonymous, call themselves a different name, uh, give themselves so, a man might give himself a female name, and the victim that they're targeting uh, would never know that. 
So basically, whoever's talking on the internet, they really not know who they're talking to, um, especially if it's a stranger. And with this texting and um, the little handheld computers coming out now, I think that would uh, create even more of a challenge for law enforcement because now you have not only the desktop computers, mm-hmm. now you have every, a lot of people walking around with pocket computers. Sure. So, so what would the role of a forensic nurse be in, in uh, you know, when it comes to either assisting law enforcement or or gathering evidence for a cyber stalking crime? Well, that's uh, they may not be used as much for that I because see. Um, you know when you get a forensic nurse out there, they're not a police officer, they're not mm-hmm. a detective or investigator. What they're doing is they're using whatever scene they go to of a crime where some of their nursing skills can be used in addition to their forensic skills. For example, um, you know, you're not going to find a drug overdose at a scene where um, there's a computer involved and no actual victim. But when you go to a crime scene where there's a victim lying on the floor and uh, the victim is, of course, deceased, and there's foam coming out of the mouth, and there's bottles of medications all over the place. Um, that's when a forensic nurse can be used to determine, well, it may be a drug overdose. But, they, they take a look at the medication bottles and see what meds they were on. But, isn't, know, so but isn't, isn't, isn't that the job of the medical examiner? Well, the, the forensic nurse is not really examining the body. I They'll see. look at the body and see possibilities, um, and this is what the training is uh, for, uh, look at the bottles of medications, basically to see if there might be a connection. Uh, the forensic nurse is not going to determine if there is a definite connection, mm-hmm. only a possibility, and to see if there was, you know, it's mainly, they can mainly help out the medical examiner. For example, in Florida, they have medical investigators for the medical examiner. Yes. Now, these, some of these medical investigators in Florida may be forensic nurses. They may not be. If they're not, then they have to receive special training. If they are forensic nurses, they already receive some training, official training to become certified in that. So that's where their skills can come into use. They're the eyes and ears of the medical examiner. So that the medical, examin- medical examiner does not have to keep going out to look at a body, they can send up a medical investigator, who may be a forensic nurse, to take a look at the body, to take notes, to ask questions, to do an investigation for him or her. So when they get back to the medical examiner's office, they can report all their findings, and then the medical examiner takes it from there. And in this state, Connecticut, I don't think Rhode Island has it, uh, they, we don't have, to my knowledge, medical investigators uh, civilians who go out and do that for the medical examiner. Would that be up to the homicide squad? The homicide, yeah, the homicide division of police departments, mainly the state police, mm-hmm. would go out. Their job is not to examine the body and turn it over and look at what may be the cause of death. Their, their job is to investigate what happened, determine, you know, the, possi- the various possibilities of uh, the causation of, uh, of what 
maybe have been the cause of death, but staying within the realm of the police protocol. It's up to the medical examiner to determine the cause of death. And, uh, and most of the time here, the medical examiner will go out or send his associate examiner out to look at the body. Uh, the police don't touch the body. Their, their job is to check the crime scene, collect all the evidence, um, document, photograph, uh, question possible witnesses. And while they may be doing that, the body will be examined by the medical examiner. And it's only once the medical examiner, uh, you know, in fact, the medical examiner is the only person who can actually touch a body at a homicide scene. Uh, basically, yes. Um, at least in, in, in this state, mm -hmm. they can. Now, in Florida, you have the medical examiner who's been a point, so, um, I can't think of the word for it, but they've been assigned by the medical examiner to look at the body. The medical investigator will not examine the crime scene. He'll look around and see you know, where he is, be aware of his surroundings so that he won't touch or um, mess up any evidence that may be surrounding the body. His job is to look at the body and see if, you know, rigor mortis, check for rigor mortis, liver mortis, some of the other things that indicate death, uh, certain death. Um, and, um, you know, take, you know, document mm -hmm. all that before shipping the body to the morgue. That's how it normally works. It doesn't happen in five or ten minutes. It could take, oh, any amount of time, whatever it takes to determine, uh, to get all the information the medical examiner needs. Let me ask you this. I, I'm sure everyone listening tonight has seen CSI or NCIS, the forensic procedures that they use. How close to reality are the TV shows when it comes to forensics? Um, shows like CSI are, um, in much of what they do, are, are fairly accurate. Really? What they do in the laboratory is is generally what may take place. They may not mm -hmm. show everything that goes on in a criminalist laboratory. Um, but, you know, and I've only seen the show once, but when I saw it that one time, these criminalists were going out, jumping over fences and going through people's yards and going through houses and stuff. They generally don't do that. Criminalists who are the actual scientists uh, in forensics they normally stay in the laboratory. The evidence is brought to them, specially packaged and marked um, according to a chain of evidence, mm -hmm. which must be act which must be very pristine. And they uh, their job is to examine the evidence. I let the evidence uh, tell them what they see and what may be indicated. Something um, something that interested me when I was reading the information that you were kind enough to send us was the word victimology. What is victimology? Victimology is the study of victim of the victim of a crime and everything about the victim. Um, it's important because you know when police um, have to investigate a homicide. Um, and, you know, the victim can no longer speak, can no longer tell the police anything. So mm -hmm. the police or any other law enforcement agencies involved have to know who they're dealing, who the victim is, before they can determine who the perpetrator might be. And they get to know everything about the victim. 
um, you know, through fingerprinting, through DNA, um, through identif- forms of identification like driver's licenses, if they're available. Um, and once they know who the victim is, and sometimes it's pretty difficult because they get these cases where the bodies are burned beyond recognition, uh, so it makes it more challenging uh, for the forensics people and the medical examiner. Um, but then we have DNA, so sometimes they can get the DNA that might help determine who it is. And um, so it's, it's a process where once they know who the victim is, mm-hmm. then the police can expand their investigation to start questioning who the victim knew, family, who, family uh, friends, acquaintances, people she, he or she worked with. And that's when the that's when the investigation keeps on expanding until, you know, and as I collect more evidence and collect more witness test uh, witness statements, uh, it could bring them closer to finding out who did it. Very interesting, Kenneth. Please stand by. You and I have to take our final break. Exxon Nation, Kenneth uh, Payson is our special guest this hour. If you'd like to find out. More about this book that we're talking about entitled Forensics and the Violent Criminal Mind, www.barnesandnoble.com, www.amazon.com, www.borders.com, and his book is available in some border stores. Kenneth Payson and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. I'll be right back. Kenneth Payson is my guest this hour. We're talking about Kenneth's book entitled Forensics and uh, the Violent Criminal Mind. It's available at uh, fine bookstores as well as online at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Borders.com. Tell me, Kenneth, uh, how can one prevent or protect oneself from violent crimes such as muggings, burglaries, or home invasions these days? Well, uh one of the thing, one of the many things, uh, for example, is um, for example, if one is outdoors, be aware of your surroundings mm-hmm. at all times. Um, you know, if at night, don't walk alone. Um, don't walk around areas where there's a lot of possibilities for, um, where there's shadowy areas. 
this is especially for females. Um, females are more likely to be assaulted than males. That's coming. That's in regards to muggings, uh, possible outdoor assaults. Uh, as far as burglaries, um, when one is not at home, keep all the doors and windows locked at all times. Uh, if going away on a vacation, of course, have some kind of lighting that comes on on a regular basis, automatic lighting uh, set up to go on at a certain time. You don't want to give anybody indications that nobody's at home, especially for uh, a lengthy period of time, because that will be a clue to certain um, criminal element uh, that somebody is probably not home. No lights have come on for the past two or three mm -hmm. days. Mail has been accumulating at the mailbox, which is another no-no. Um, one should at least arrange with the post office to hold the mail, to hold any newspaper deliveries, don't in give any indication whatsoever to possible uh, burglars that nobody's home. Um, so, you know, and this could pertain to any area. It doesn't have to be uh, a bad area, so to speak, in, in cities. It could, it could be anywhere. Um, I live in a fine area right now, mm -hmm. and I saw a couple of years ago, I saw somebody walking in the back. They were casing the house. Wow. This really happened about two or three years ago at my house here. And uh, I, the guy saw me looking at him and never came back, but the doors were locked. The back door was locked. And so this is uh, safety should always be kept in mind. Nothing should be taken for granted, no matter how safe you think you're in. Uh, with the home invasions that have been occurring, they're on the increase, uh, much more so than they were three or four years ago. And if you recall the case in Cheshire, Connecticut, the home invasion uh, where the family of a doctor was, was murdered and the house burned down, um, you know, that's an extreme example of this kind of home invasion going on. That's where there used to be sanctity in the home and safety. Mm -hmm. That's kind of gone by the wayside now. The criminal element has become bolder. And, you know, of course, people in certain areas are complacent, have right. become complacent and feel they're safe. And so they don't have to worry about it. But Kenneth, I hate to do this, but we've just run out of time for tonight. I want to thank you very much for joining us. And uh, from everyone here at the Exxon, to you and yours, a very Merry Christmas and a safe, healthy, happy New Year. Thank you. Same to you and to everybody and all my listeners. All right. Exxon Nation, Kenneth Payson has been my guest. He's the author of Forensics and the Violent Criminal Mind. It's available at Amazon.com, Borders.com, BarnesandNoble.com as well as in some border stores. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past as we continue here in the X-Zone.